Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have details on the first cut of alfalfa. Also, Glendalee Allen Vossler will talk about Native Prairie Appreciation Week. Up first in today's country comment, I'll get an update on the province's winter wheat crop. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Today we'll get an update on the province's winter wheat crop. Alex Griffiths is with Ducks Unlimited. This year in the western part of the province, there was about 5,300 acres on our program that I've been scouting, scattered from uh, Melinda to Roblin to Clearwater. Of that, about 5,000 acres were uh, kept in, so it ended up being a really good year, especially considering all those Colorado low snows. Um, most of the areas that were affected by winter kill were your usual culprits, the hilltops where blowing winds made for exposed soil or drowned out spots from all the water that we got. And there was a couple of fields with snow mold, which was not often seen on a large scale. And in some cases, it even caused a full field write off. Uh, currently, I'd say that the crop is at the boot stage with some of it starting to head out. With plenty of moisture and dense canopies, there has been lots of visible leaf disease. Many producers that I've talked with already sprayed a foliar fungicide with their herbicide or at flag leaf timing. Uh, still with yield potential and grain prices both very high, I'd recommend fields should be sprayed for fusarium head blight at flowering as well. With uh, many of the crops looking good to excellent, protecting the yield and especially the quality that we've got now is hugely important. Any reseeding that you uh, have heard of? Yeah, there was a little bit. Um, most of it just went into a spring wheat because it was already fertilized for that. And uh, the odd one actually for where guys didn't fertilize went into soybeans because they can handle the uh, the wet and the warm that we had. So that, But that was uh, few and far between. I'd say from the ones that I actually looked at, we had over 90% of the fields uh, survive the winter very well. Anything else to, to highlight? Or? Overall, most producers, especially in the western part of the province, but probably provincially, who did seed uh, winter wheat or any winter cereal like winter triticale or fall rye this year are very happy that they did that, especially with the precipitation causing such major seeding difficulties. And lastly, if uh, anybody ends up having unseeded acres, a winter cereal can be a good option this fall, uh, so long as it is seeded early and you're using a very winter-hardy variety due to the lack of stubble that you've got. So if anybody has any questions for that, they can feel free to give me a shout. My uh, cell is uh, 1204-848-0514. That was Alex Griffiths with Ducks Unlimited giving us an update on the winter wheat crop in western Manitoba. Doug Martin with the Manitoba Crop Alliance is in the East Selkirk area. I think in the eastern side, maybe you got the winter wheat got hit a little harder than in the west. Uh, yeah, again, we're when you're farming and kind of <laughs> farming for like a month and a half, like putting crop in, you don't have kind of in your own bubble, so you don't know what's going on. But I know on our farm here, we had some issues with uh, winter kill. Uh, uh, something really strange. We had snow mold uh, hit our winter wheat, and uh, it. Uh, I guess it. We had a really good growth. Put it, put it in early, and then the fertility was really high because of the dry conditions. Had a lot of growth, and that growth went flat, and it caused mold on uh, our winter wheat in our farm here this year. And so that seems to have done a lot of damage. Uh, so we had to reseed one field. One field we kept in, it wasn't as bad, but wasn't great. But better than reseeding at late, like in June sort of thing. So, so 
So uh, talking to Alex Griffin uh, with the uh, Ducks, uh, the Western side, they said he figures 90% came through the winter well. Uh, only he saw two fields, our field and another field at Dauphin with snow mold. Um, but uh, overall, he feels pretty happy with the way things are. And some fields were maybe a little sketchy, but guys, because of the just the wet spring and they, they're, you know, I think bad, bad winter wheat is probably better than late season spring wheat, <laughs> basically. So, so anyway, that's kind of an update to what I've seen. Uh, but again, I haven't, uh, you know, uh, you know, been out and about a whole lot. I haven't heard from a lot of growers. So everyone's focused on getting what crop they can get in, you know, this year. What, I guess, what stage would the crop be at? Uh, ours is in the, like, boot stage, uh, some of it. It's, you know, it is quite uneven because, the, you know, the, the snow mold hit, hit it pretty hard. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just about ready to head. Probably uh, in next week we'll have uh, heading going on. So, so it'll be hard to, with the fusarium, the timing of the uh, fungicide for fusarium. So uh, we may be spraying a part, half rate or three-quarter rate a couple times just to try to, to uh, get that uh, fusarium under control because uh, winter wheat can be pretty susceptible. So, any other issues, uh, you know, disease or insects that you're seeing, or? Uh, no, not really. Uh, everyone's spraying for flea beetles, of course, but that's just standard. It seems like these days. But anyway, it's uh, uh, no, not really anything going on there. Uh, you know, the uh, wheat pressure wasn't uh, too bad. You know, uh, it seems the winter wheat took uh, the rain quite well. Uh, normally we'll take a, a you know, uh, not early spring, but, you know, once we get it growing, it'll handle uh, the, the, the spring rain. So, so that part of it is, it's been good for winter wheat because it likes the moisture early. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, we'll see how things uh, progress here, but uh, we, we do have, you know, it's our winter wheat is, I don't know if it's even okay. It's, 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 uh, you know, sort of thing, but it's probably better than late seeded spring wheat, like I said. That was Doug Martin with the Manitoba Crop Alliance giving us an update on the winter wheat crop he farms in the East Selkirk area. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Agriculture says provincial seeding progress sits at 91% complete. That's up 4% from last week. Extreme heat stress crops over the weekend delaying in-crop spraying. Strong winds have limited good spray days together with wet soils preventing field accessibility. Weed control on sprayed fields appears good, but many canola and soybean crops appear quite dirty. Spotty emergence is evident in many crops, wherever water pooled for a short time and crop stands are thinner in those areas or have drowned out. Emergence improves on better drained land depending on which side of a section the field was and parts of the southern Red River Valley and west along PTH3. Flea beetle feed pressure has caused severe damage in many canola crops, necessitating multiple foliar insecticide applications or forced a reseed. Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Grower says soybeans are ranging from the emergent stage to V1. Jennifer McComb-Teru talked about other crops. Field peas from V2, the second node stage, to V6, the sixth node stage, and dry beans from VC to V1. She notes there were a wide range of seeding dates this year for all crop types, including pulses and soybeans. And farmers are busy scouting and spraying for insects and disease. Tyler West, an entomologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, says for the most part, the 2022 wheat midge outlook looks good across the prairies. Through May, we usually look for about 25 millimeters of rain 
and that kickstarts the development of the wheat midge larvae in the ground. And if they don't get that, they'll stay in the ground and uh, they don't come out and don't attack the wheat heads that year. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Wednesday, June 22nd. I'm Corey Knute. Coming up today, Glendalee Allen Vossler will have details on Native Prairie Appreciation Week. This is Native Prairie Appreciation Week. On the show today, Glendalee Allen Vossler talks with Dr. Sean Aslane, a forage breeder and geneticist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Swift Current Research and Development Centre. Aslane's work focuses on native plant breeding. So, Sean, let's start by talking about, uh, of course, the native plants and native grasses and the importance of them. Sure. So uh, the native grasses really historically have been, um, I guess, the foundation of uh, at least early agriculture in Western Canada. Um, prior to, you know, with early settlement on the prairies, uh, rain, our native rangelands were um, uh, a primary source of forages for uh, for cattle production. Um, over time, I mean that that did change with uh, with cereal production becoming more dominant. Um, kind of between uh, na- late 1800s, early 1900s, we saw more of a shift to annual grain production and more of the introduction of um, of non-native species um, due to a combination of different factors. Um, part of it being uh, ecological uh, challenges. Um, imposed by um, uh, drought conditions in the 1930s, which really pushed the need for uh, for um, for perennial grass cover, and uh, that resulted in a lot of importation of, of different species uh, from outside of Canada. Now, uh, while many of those of those introduced um, species have become have taken off really well uh, from a production standpoint. They fill a particular niche that um, isn't necessarily, um, I guess I, I should say that the the, uh, the native species fill different uh, ecological niches than uh, the introduced species. And the importance of these native species, uh, one of the big things uh, go, comes down to biodiversity. And uh, we know that in ecosystems and our rangelands, they are uh, managed ecosystems. We know that these ecosystems are more resilient when biodiversity is present. So having biodiversity, different sorts of species that have different traits lead to uh, greater resilience against different disturbances in the environment. So this can be, for instance, when you have uh, a drought situation, um, some species are going to do well and some species aren't going to do so well, but you're still going to have some species that are, are there and being productive on the landscape. When properly managed, they are essentially a low-input, self-sustaining system. Now, that doesn't work for every single area. There are, are different production needs and different production practices across uh, across the country. Um, but in, in large swaths of, of Saskatchewan, we do rely on our native rangeland uh, for our cattle production. And they are, in, in many senses, very low-input systems. Uh, so we're not having to reseed every year. Uh, we don't have that seed cost. We don't have to be adding nutrition back onto the landscape, uh, be it fertilizer, any type of fertilizer, uh, you know, cost of herbicides, cost of fungicides. 
uh, those types of things are, are greatly reduced in rangelands because they are they are based on a natural system that's in equilibrium. And when we're so, talking about that that natural yeah. system, uh, forage production, the the native species that we see out there, the grazing that we see happen, it it's all kind of works in synergy, right? It it all benefits mm-hmm. the environment. A lot of people have a, a misinterpretation sometimes thinking grazing is bad for the environment as long as we're not overgrazing we're benefiting the environment right exactly 100% like um so when you go back to like the ecology of uh, of the great plains you know traditionally the major disturbance events um from the ecological sense were bison grazing and fire now those types of events that disturbance is good because what happens is if there's you know one or two species that become dominant they choke out everything else and what this this disturbance does it renews the ecosystem so it allows for species that were getting crowded out to come up and as a result you know these different species have different features that contribute what are called ecosystem services to the environment so these are benefits that different species provide um, so, for instance, you know, in, in something like uh, a native, in, in a legume, we have uh, nitrogen fixation is a major benefit, a major ecosystem service that contributes. You know, so you know, our legumes contribute nitrogen, our forage grasses don't, uh, but our forage grasses, in comparison, tend to be very deep rooted. They're able to fix more carbon into the soil and improve so- different soil health parameters. So it's all these different kind of moving parts that work in synergy that um, form kind of this, this uh, equilibrium um, that makes it very resilient and very self-sustaining as long as things are being properly managed. That being said, as a breeder of, of native forages, talk to us a little bit about the challenges of that. Our native species, I mean, they've evolved under different uh, pressures to persist in the environment. And one of those things that that we see a lot is um, characteristics like seed dormancy, characteristics like hard seed that make it somewhat more difficult to establish native species relative to the tame species. We also have a number of traits that are are related to a quote unquote domestication. Um, So this can be things like seed shattering. And and these are production traits that make it difficult to make uh, native grasses or native legumes available on a commercial scale because they are they're more difficult to produce in those senses but the they these are traits that we do have variation in in most populations and that we can make selections for for improvement so as an example uh one thing that my program is starting to look at more is establishment characteristics of native legumes and seeing if we have genetic variation for things like early vigor and establishment so that instead of planting a plot and it comes up three years later, having a plot that comes up in the same year. And kind of the end goal of this type of research is, is to breed some production traits where we push the populations kind of in, in, in a certain direction. We don't want to lose diversity. So we're making kind of tweaks to populations so that they have um, better production traits to make it easier for things like establishment. And uh, what that translates to is reducing the risks associated with seeding uh, native species. 
um, to begin with native species because they are more difficult to produce seed off of and, and seed production is, is not at the same level as, um, as our introduced forages. The seed prices tend to be higher, so it can be uh, an expense, uh, a more costly endeavor in some situations. Um, but reducing the risk uh, to, so they can re- reap those benefits really is the longer-term goals of uh, the breeding research. I've been talking with Dr. Sean Alslin at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Swift Current Research and Development Centre. He is a native forage breeder. For Golden West, I'm Glendale Allen Bossler. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendale Allen Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Miami Agricultural Society is celebrating its 25th annual rodeo along with the 113th annual fair, June 25th and 26th. Miami 4-H Beef Club will be hosting their interclub judging competition on Friday evening and an open 4-H beef show on Saturday. The Roland 4-H Museum is open throughout July and August. Hours are 1 to 4 p.m. Call 204-343-2061 for appointments or for more information. Manitoba Crop Diagnostic School is being held July 5th through to the 8th in Carmen at the University of Manitoba ENR Morrison Research Farm. Sessions take place from 8.30 until 3, the cost $175. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a workshop entitled Health Check for Your Pasture and Soil July 6th. Cost is $30. You can register on the MFGA website. And the Suras River Watershed District is hosting its annual banquet July 7th at Hartney Community Hall. Tickets are $50. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon, the first cut of hay is well underway in southeastern Manitoba. Reporter Shannon Duick chatted with Tyrone Lang of Lang Spring Farm, northeast of Steinbach. When did you begin uh, your first cut of alfalfa for the year? Uh, our first cut, we would have started oh, about June 15th. And, uh, and how far along are you right now? Right now we're about half done. What do things look like? Well, it's, it's yielding very good. Um, we haven't seen yields like this in a, in a handful of years. It's been, it's been dry the last uh, three to five years. Um, it, it is pretty wet. We're dealing with uh, lots of moisture, so we're, we're having to navigate around wet spots in the field. That's where you might see from the road a bunch of uh, uncut patches. It's because there's, there's literally standing water sitting in the field still. What do you expect quality will be, or is it too early to say? Uh, I would say it's too early to dictate the quality, but uh, because of the aggressive growth with the late heat and the amount of moisture, uh, quality might actually be a little bit less than what we've had in the last couple of years. Um, there might end up being more fiber, but it's too early to tell. I mean, different growing conditions can provide different feeds, so we'll we'll know once we test it a few a few weeks from now. So it sounds like based on, on what you're saying when it comes to alfalfa, those fields certainly didn't mind the wet spring that we had this year? They they definitely thrived off the added moisture. It's growing very well. Um, yeah, other than a little bit of muddy conditions that we have to deal with, uh, that's not really a complaint because we have a lot more feed than we've had in the past few years. As far as the schedule for the first cut, is that pretty much on par with uh, what you guys have been doing the last number of years? We, For us, we would be basically one week behind from where we would usually have started. And the delay 
really came because of moisture. It Everything got a bit of a later start in general, so it's not a big deal, but uh, we just kept getting held off by rain and more rain. When would you expect the second cut could start? We usually start 35 days after we started our first cut. So if we started on June 15th, we would be running right around July 20th. In a, in a perfect world, what sort of weather uh, would you need, I guess, between now and that second cut? Well, realistically, there's lots of moisture in the ground, so the regrowth is going to happen on its own anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to need a couple of rains along the way to, to make it as healthy as it is now. Um, but realistically, there's going to be a second cut, even with the moisture we have now. That was Tyrone Lang of Lang Spring Farm chatting with reporter Shannon Duick about the first cut of hay. Now let's head over to the western side of the province where reporter Barry Lamb caught up with Surus area farmer Dustin Williams to find out how his seeding is coming along. We actually were in pretty good shape. We we had a couple fields left to to clean up and and get seeded, but uh, the rains definitely put a stop to that. And uh, it, that was a week ago, and, and we're at this point in June now. Uh, will we have uh, quite a few acres that, that go unseeded this year because of that moisture? We'll have some, yeah, for sure. We're gonna we're gonna switch over and seed some green seed now, and um, fill in some areas like that. But but we're pretty much pretty much finished off from that rain. And seed you did get into the ground. How, how is emergence at this point? Where are things at, and how's it looking? For the most part, it looks pretty good. Yeah, we. Um, um, what the the crop that's there is is growing pretty well, and and uh, emergence is good. I know some producers have had to do some reseeding, whether it was uh, because of uh, insects and or crusting situations. Uh, how have you been that way? Uh, we did do a little bit of reseeding. Um, we had some some ground that the the seed trenches washed in and and buried some canola. So we uh, we went back and reseeded it for good measure. But um, but aside from that, uh, it, things are things aren't looking terrible. What kind of weather do you hope to see here uh, moving forward over these next few weeks and months? What what's the best situation on your farm? Well, um, certainly like to see some sunny skies and not too hot of temperatures to keep this uh, crop moving along. And we're still we're still going to need a rain once in a while, but uh, we do have good soil moisture now, and and um, just sunny skies is what I'm hoping for. You've been at this for a while, Dustin. Uh, what are you noticing about the trends? When are you getting more heavy rain events in your neck of the woods, or are these kind of one-offs? Or what? What's your, you know, your read on the weather and kind of what it's trending to do? Well, I mean, I, I would, I would lean towards these being larger rain events. Like I, um, I certainly don't remember having such extreme rainfall amounts and such such a swing between dry and wet like that that we've had. I think, uh, you know, the, the size of the storm seemed to be increasing in intensity and, and uh, certainly the amount of 
like the the amount of rain we just had in this storm and the number of roads that were washed over and the areas of fields that were holding water or flooding from water you know i don't i don't remember seeing stuff like that and especially not as as often as we have had over the last few years either you know it seems like Maybe that would have been a once-in-a-decade story you would hear before, but now it seems we're every year, every other year, we have these extreme events. So I would say they're getting bigger myself. That was Cirrus area farmer Dustin Williams chatting with reporter Barry Lamb. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. There were a wide range of seeding dates this year for all crop types, including pulses and soybeans. Jennifer McComb-Teru is a production specialist with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. There's a lot of variability for crop staging and priorities. With this heat, crops are changing quickly. But soybeans are mainly ranging from VE, the emergent stage, where the cotyledons have pulled through the soil, to V1, which is the first unrolled trifoliate leaf. She says field peas range from V2 to V6. And dry beans range from VC to V1. An entomologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada says producers will want to start monitoring for wheat midge the last week in June and the first week in July. Here's Dr. Tyler Wist. The susceptible stage for wheat, um, susceptible to wheat midge, is that where the boot splits up until about anthesis. He notes there can be a wave of wheat midge if you saw sporadic rainfall in May. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.